0: Hello everyone, welcome to episode number five. Ah, hi guys and I hope that you guys have been having a really good week and welcome to You Don't Look Like an Engineer once again. So to start off with, I hope you guys really enjoyed last um, week's introduction of our new segment of STEM gems of the Week and learnt something really cool. And this week we've got Edith Clarke to talk about today. So. Laura, what can you tell us about her? Yeah,
1: so Edith was the first woman to be professionally employed as an electrical engineer in the United States. And she was the first female professor of electrical engineering in the country. She also specialised in electrical power system analysis.
0: So she was really good at what she did. And she even wrote one of the uh, most renowned textbooks on that topic. It's called Circuit Analysis of AC Power Systems, if anyone's looking for some bedtime reading i'm just kidding um she was yeah so she's born in 1883 and really you know tough times back then for women in stem life so like kudos again to her for being one of the pioneers in that situation because when she was growing up again just like elisa from last week she had some like struggles getting into this field she was unable to find work as an engineer and um I think, so she went on to work for General Electric at the time as a supervisor for computers in the turbine engineering department. And then she even entered, invented like her own calculator thing called a clock calculator. So this was before like, you know, the buttons calculator that we had, it was like using a graphing system. And um, I don't really know the technicality of it, but it would help them to solve equations for electrical currents, voltage, voltage, sorry, and impedance in power systems power transmission lines yeah so it was used it used like hyperbolic functions which is sorry getting really technical into this but it was super cool because it was um used to find like the maximum power a transmission line could hold which is so cool without like i think you know failure or whatever so that's really cool in like our whole electrical grid and stuff like that's pretty pivotal in the power that that is generated
1: and transported to our houses that's just she's so cool she was a badass She took a leave of absence from General Electric to teach physics at the Constantinople Women's College in Turkey because she was not allowed to do electrical engineering work and was not earning the same salary and had a lower professional status as men doing the same work. Sounds familiar. (laughs) But the next year, when she returned from Turkey, she was offered a job by General Electric as a salaried electrical engineer in the Central Station Engineering Department, the first professional female electrical engineer in the United States. And then she retired from General Electric in
0: 1945. But I'm sensing a a, a general theme here where a lot of these women, like I I think it's just absolutely amazing, where they didn't have success, unfortunately, in the countries where they were born. And they were like, you Mm -hmm. know... F this, I don't want to say F this, but they were like, no, I'm not putting up with this, and literally upped and moved to different, like wherever opportunity was provided, moved countries, continents, whatever. Yeah, we Get can. It done. S- yeah. yeah, we
1: can definitely see how resilient and how um, independent these women were, uh, and they knew and clearly driven. what their goal was yeah. in their life, so they weren't really going to be stopped by anyone, regardless of. What people thought, they were like, okay, we know we can do this, and here is how. And boom, they just show it to everyone. Um, yeah. Which is amazing because back then, as we know and as we have mentioned, opportunities for women in any workforce weren't as equal or the same as it is now. So big kudos to them. Um, exactly. Now, we would like to say five mega contributions about Edith. Uh, So the first one is that she began her career as a computer, literally a human calculator, in support of the engineers working to build the first transcontinental phone line. Number
0: two, her most famous contribution, again with the computing skills, was the clock calculator that we talked about in 1921, which the patent was granted in 1925, four years later which was again we've talked about it but a graphical device that simplified equations that electrical engineers could have used to understand power lines
1: yeah she also helped build the hoover dam contributing her electrical expertise to develop and install the turbines that generated hydropower there to this day so amazing we're still
0: benefiting from her work yeah
1: Yeah.
0: number four so clark used analyzers to gather data about the electrical grid an innovative idea at the time that can be seen as the first step towards our now smart grid technology.
1: In 2015, she was posthumously inducted into the Inventors Hall of Fame, joining the likes of Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla for her inventions of the Clark calculator.
0: So wow. this woman was
1: just a scientist that was just breaking the bias guys and that's just massive (laughs)
0: and we need to hear her name more like oh my gosh it's it saddens me that we've heard of edison and tesla but we've never heard of
1: edith clark well now we are so now just following from last week's subject um one of the tools that we use to stop over identifying with our work and to have like a healthy relationship with our job we said that it was boundaries
0: boundaries super super important stuff i think just not in just in your personal life but in professional as well so we'll we'll touch a little bit on both but pretty much let's start with
1: what exactly
0: are boundaries
1: i really like this um this let's say quote but it says boundaries define what is you and what is not you and they help you define what's your responsibility and what isn't and I feel like this phrase or this quote is so applicable for any aspect of your life but because today we're really focusing on our work and our job I feel like it's even more accurate like what is your responsibility and what isn't just removing that idea that we have been conditioned with especially for women and especially for women of color there's a lot of pressure that we put in ourselves and we really want to remove that pressure and tackle good ways to have a healthy relationship with our work. Everything that we're going to talk about on today's episode is actually applicable not only for women of color in engineering but for anyone and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be an engineer or a person in STEM careers to Uh, benefit from the content in today's episode so we hope you enjoy it and let's talk about the types of boundaries so there's four common types of boundaries
0: which are practically going through like the main aspects of your life the first is physical and then moral emotional and financial and you can find very many different types of definitions and more variations of this on different sources but these are the ones we're focusing on today physical is your personal space your physical body so that's all the boundaries associated with how much you know you want people in your physical space pretty much definitely one that should never be violated and your moral ones is again very subjective very personal but you get to define that you know your boundaries what are your morals and what are your values and you need to know you know if someone is overstepping them or has crossed them and how to deal with that because while it is subjective it is true that that boundary holds for you and it shouldn't be one that should be crossed again and then there's emotional boundaries um, and that's to do with your thoughts and your feelings and how you can separate your feelings from other people's feelings but also separating your thoughts from your feelings essentially both of those are very critical and especially in a workplace setting and the last one so is so it's
1: like emotional hygiene oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to call it that way like okay when... I like that it's it's pretty cool
0: yeah and the last one is financial so you know what are your guidelines for lending giving or donating money to others and how you jump in if someone faces financial hardship but i think then also when managing a a budget that too but a tricky one i guess if you're like donating and lending i think i don't know if this is like universal but then trying to get that money back i think people oh yeah struggle oh my god especially (laughs) in
1: certain cultures like it's really hard to Mm -hmm. sort of like exactly just feel like i feel like once you landed the money and you're gonna ask for it there's a lot of guilt that you feel when -hmm. you shouldn't Mm -hmm. it's like it's my money like what the (laughs) hell anyway yeah funny 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 again this goes into yeah cultural norms very very tricky things yeah so why are boundaries important boundaries lead to confidence emotional stability and reduce anxiety they give you a sense of control, so that's the reason why they are so important. And it's so important in a workplace setting because it
0: protects your ability to do your work without any interference and like drama. In an essence, right? Because you don't have to deal with all the stuff that's like taking up mental space. That is like, oh, why did this person treat me this way when I'm not okay with it? You know, and you don't have to deal with that because you've set a boundary and your your people now know how not to violate
1: that in an essence yeah yeah especially at the workplace also it helps you reclaim your freedom when we don't have a really good boundary we tend to overwork and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a healthy thing or a productive thing we we have times set up for doing work and we have to stick to that and we have to do it for our own well-being so this is a reason why we want to implement boundaries. The type of boundaries that we should set up at work: um, time management. So, like for example, when you go and do like your to-do list before you start your day, or like some people dedicate a Monday to that, to doing all the housekeeping. So they do like a list of things that are very important to do on the day people can either do it in order of priorities or they can sort it out from easy to hard and also focus on one task at a time 100 percent. multitasking is a myth yes yes actually there was a study and they asked three groups of people to read the same passage one group received no distractions the second group received an instant message before they started reading, and the third group received multiple instant messages while they read. While each group fared equally well on the quality of the reading, the third group finished it last. No surprises there. We all know how
0: distracting you know, the phones yeah. can be.
1: So with time management, I feel like it's important to also allocate breaks for when you're gonna check your phone, like at lunchtime, or when you're gonna reply to messages. So with setting boundaries, another important thing is To know and understand what working style you have. So are you an integrator or a segmenter? Integrators are the people who can integrate work and personal responsibilities without stress. So people that are integrators tend to be comfortable performing work tasks during family or personal time, like for example taking a work call around dinner or finding time between uh, helping their kids with homework and do like a meeting afterwards or whatever. And segmenters are actually a little bit more just strict about the boundaries they have. So, for example, um, taking work calls during a family or personal time would be like a big no for them. And... Uh, and it can actually be very stressful. So if you want to find out whether you're an integrator or a segmenter, we're gonna have a quick test for you available right now. Go, token? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have three different uh, categories to look at and that is your space, your schedule, and your lunch. And if you're an integrator, then it means in terms of space that you wouldn't mind working from the bed or the couch or relaxing you know, in the same place that you work in. But if you're a segmenter, then you have a dedicated working space and uh which is usually separated in a room or in a corner of the house so like even if you don't have a lot of space in a house guaranteed like people are not living in mansions so you, it would be like a different corner of your room to say like you know where the bed is or where whatever you wouldn't integrate the two and uh, in terms of your schedule it means uh for integrators they don't necessarily stick to a very strict schedule uh they're happy to like juggle stuff around and move it around like move their personal time space to help out with work like it's not something that's going to be like a no-no so if they if you have gym in the morning someone says oh let's have the meeting in the morning you'll be like oh yeah that's fine i'll just gym in the evening that kind of thing you know and um for segmenters it looks more rigid so they need an office-like schedule with a clear start and end time for work and established personal time and you can't overstep into either one have a few friends like this very interesting to work with (laughs) and with lunches so integrators they feel comfortable eating while working on on their desk and attending a work call at the same time if you know that's fine for you uh but segmenters prefer to like you know log out for a bit take lunch time away and uh treat it as a break don't necessarily don't be working while you eat which you shouldn't but i i do i work and eat at the same time
1: Not good. Yeah, I'm definitely an integrator, but it's important to note that neither of the two working style is superior to the other and both have their advantages. Obviously, we cannot say that because we're integrators or because we're segmenters, we are better than the other. No, not at all. But we do need it in order to understand how to set boundaries for ourselves. So, for example, for integrators, uh, what we have to do is pretty much set up like um, in our calendars time blocks of when we want to work without any distractions. So I think Microsoft Teams, for example, has this easy um, way to set up your focus time or you could even put your status as be right back. And in that time, you're going to focus on the tasks that you need to destroy on that week or on that day. (laughs) Um, And that way you won't feel anxious or worried about, you know, Um, your workload so for example if you're an integrator and you enjoy working after normal hours it's important to be mindful of the boundaries that your co-workers have because even though to you it's very normal to send emails at 10 p.m in the evening or later for other people it can seem like you are well it doesn't seem you are working outside of like a normal schedule and it can create sort of like a pressure to the other person when receiving it when receiving the email or when receiving whatever it is. So make sure that if you are going to send a late night email, please add like a disclaimer saying make flexibility work. If you get an email from me outside of normal office hours is because I'm sending it at a time that is convenient for me. I don't expect you to read a reply until normal hours. So your colleagues don't feel pressured to respond to them immediately. And this is especially helpful when people download like Microsoft Teams or Outlook or whatever your work email application is on the phone, because sometimes you can receive a notification at like 11 p.m. from your boss on a Sunday, and you straight away feel tense. You have been trying to, you know, like go to bed or like just calm down from the weekend, but and suddenly you feel like you're slacking, and you're like, oh yeah, my god, should exactly. be working. But you already feel like you have to start thinking about work when you should just still be enjoying your time off. Um, so very important. So simple and messages like that, just to
0: set the tone and being like, "Look, this works for me, but it doesn't have to work for you." And it's so important to let people know that, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And don't take it personal. Like if you receive a message like that, don't be like, "Oh my god, what is this?" No, I'm kidding, actually. <laughs> so again, that's I'm yeah, the
0: setting the boundary between your thoughts and your feelings. Super, super important stuff. I'm glad you touched on that that will come in handy
1: okay and now for segmenters it's important to have a clear conversation with your team members and managers so if to you it's really important to finish at 5 p.m and like starting at 7 a.m and finishing at 5 p.m communicate that and that you won't be taking any calls or replying to any emails and that's just the way you work and how you like doing things and I'm sure that if you voice that they'll be able to understand and for segmenters um, that are working from home I think a best practice include to have like a different environment like Sohan was saying if you don't have a big space uh, where you live even to just set up like a desk or even to just say to yourself okay this is the computer that I'm gonna use to do work Uh, I'm not going to mix like the gadgets, for example. Uh, I'm going to just use this computer to do my work and this iPad to do my studies or this desk in the corner here is going to be for me to do my work and this, uh, I don't know, desk up there is going to help me with my studies. So it it creates a, a boundary and it's more physical and you can actually see it. So it will help you reduce the stress levels. <laughs> and you can also explore digital calendars to prepare ahead for the day, like we were saying, a to-do list or, or, the, or utilizing all the software that can help you to manage workload. Yep. So those are some of the tips and tricks. The last in this line of boundaries that we can
0: we can and should be setting, I think an important one is on privacy and the involvement of like sharing information. So I think a lot of times when things come up at work and you know you might not be able to attend something or like something happens people feel the need to overshare because if you're not sharing the exact circumstance then you feel like no one's going to understand and they're not going to be able to be like oh yeah that was fair enough but that shouldn't be necessary you know it's it's if someone has a personal circumstance something happened without knowing full details I think there should be a level of empathy involved that you can just recognize that person has definitely done everything in their power and that is why they can't make whatever commitment it is not just be like oh maybe they were being lazy or whatever like that's not good enough no
1: yeah and I think it's important that if someone is telling you that they cannot attend an event or they cannot do a meeting or a task it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to give you a reason Especially when it comes to And meetings. especially
0: when they give you a reason. That reason is not open for discussion.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. So mm-hmm. if they have something going on, no one is asking. Like, you are giving a reason. Okay, I can't come to the meeting because I have X, Y, Z thing on. You shouldn't feel like, oh, uh, let's debate this. Yeah. Why?
0: Yeah, no, certainly.
1: if someone is telling you that they can't, they can't. Everyone is responsible of organizing the time like it suits them. So you have to also set that boundary of understanding other people's commitments. Because they have the most knowledge about their circumstance. You you can't possibly have more. And yes, of course, people can do
0: more and strive for better. But that situation is not where you start demonstrating that. No.
1: Yeah, exactly. And there's an element of trust that comes into this as well you have been working with these people for a long time or if if this person is new you have to understand that you have to trust what they are saying and trust that you know that they are capable of, of making that judgment making that yeah yeah, yeah that judgment
0: 100%. and also it's recognizing that the people that you work with and i don't mean this in a bad way but they there's not that level of trust established always i think with everyone in your workplace that they are privy to all the information that is happening in your life like you know because sometimes it's sensitive stuff like you know stuff that's happening at home and whatever and you don't have to go sharing that to everyone just so that they can understand why you can't make a meeting not at all no because I that don't, level of I trust is you would only share that information with like a loved one or a family or you know or friends yeah. and that sort of thing yeah. so you don't suddenly have to now talk about that at work because a it's inappropriate and b you're not comfortable
1: yeah you know? there's a level of vulnerability yeah, that you exactly. that you have to go through when talking about these subjects and perhaps you don't have the relationship with your coworkers or your bosses or even if you did you want to just keep these things separate yeah. um you don't have to put yourself in the situation of make, like making yourself feel uncomfortable just because someone wants you to like yeah. no make them feel uncomfortable sorry <laughs> but it is what it is <laughs> now the last one in terms of boundaries to be set up is boundaries of behavior yes that's right especially when alcohol is involved at some events in the workplace so for example With Christmas parties or with end-of-the-month drinks that every office celebrates, um, I feel like it's really hard to set up boundaries. Or maybe you have them set up, but sometimes because you have ingested certain substances, it's hard to keep them very, like, you know, not blurred. So make sure that your behavior is just the same, professional and very polite, regardless of where you are. The workplace is literally that party that you attended to, if it's surrounded by work colleagues, that site that you visited, and even the car that you are sharing with your colleagues to get to the site, to the airport, or to that party. So make sure that your behavior is always professional and polite. (laughs) And also, it doesn't mean that because you haven't set the tone for the years that you have been at certain company, it doesn't mean that you cannot start setting the tone now. Like, you can change mm. that, and you can sure. just, by voicing, for example, if before certain behavior you approved, but now you don't, just be like, sorry, I'm not comfortable with that now. And if someone asks you why, be like, I'm just not comfortable. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so a big
0: part of this boundary is, like, we've been through how to set them and what they are and why they matter, but a big elephant in the room for newer workplaces is trying to understand ethnicity in the role of boundaries because ethnicity and gender both of them now when you overlap them that makes an even bigger like new specialty. Exactly we'll get into some research about how ethnicity has a general um, role to play in boundaries. It affects the way you know women of colour treat their work relationships how they put up their hand for different um, tasks and overworking and undervaluing themselves and all of that plays a role. But start off with I think the major thing that comes into play culturally is just it's a complete cultural shift from you know working in a corporate environment in you know let's say a Western nation (laughs) is it's it's a very different culture from what you know people are generally practicing at home so I think some research to back this up uh, was conducted by Von Ma and Thomas Schoenman. I hope I pronounced that correctly uh, in the field of social and applied psychology And they found a difference like uh, between two cultures one is called a collectivist culture and one is an individualist culture so collectivist cultures they found to be in more ethnic uh, places and um, they found like for example 60% of Kenyans describe themselves in terms of their role in a group or their role in their family like I'm a good daughter or like you know I'm a you know team XYZ whereas 48% of Americans where the individualist culture comes from in like, even in this corporate environment and everything, they use their personal characteristics to describe themselves. So like collectivist cultures like mine, and I'm sure you can relate as well. They have a low differentiation between, um, themselves and a group. So they're encouraged to make decisions based on the group and what the group will feel like. So in a family context or in a team context, they have to make decisions based on thinking, Oh, how will everyone around me react? You know, And that's why when when you have to put your hand up and say, I can't necessarily pick up a task, they're most likely thinking, everyone else is busy. How can I possibly palm this off to anyone else? I should just take on the role.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really important because when you understand boundaries and when you want to set them up, if you have no idea what your non-negotiables are, essentially, if you don't know yourself really well, you can't set those boundaries. It's really hard to set up something that you have no idea what it looks like. And it comes with practice,
0: I think, uh, because we've been practicing this collectivist culture for like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. You can't just get up and say, oh no, today I'm going to be like, all my boundaries and no one else's. No, but the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. And like you were saying, the more you get to know yourself and your non-negotiables. And that's how you slowly be able to like develop...
1: Who you are, the important concept around understanding boundaries is actually the differentiation of the self. And some therapists, like Murray Bowen, um, they originated the concepts related to distinguishing self from family and thoughts from feelings. So it's really interesting because a lot of people, because of the culture and the background, they i immediately when they think about themselves or like their self-worth they link they link it to things like what role they play in the family or like how they help others in their family so it's really important to understand that not everyone uh sees this self i guess concept equally yeah it varies from your culture and from your background and when you see it this way, you understand why is that for some people or for some communities there's more stress or there's more things to take into account when doing a task yeah, exactly and and that split now from thinking that with that
0: conditioning and now when you come into a corporate environment and your whole sense of worth is what you provide uh in terms in an individual sense, like you know your success um from one stage to another to get promoted like you know you have to show oh i did x y and z for the team and i led this and i was the flag bearer for so much whereas culturally you're used to just being like no like i i'm a helper i i you know i'm just helping the team you know taking on a lot of tasks and like putting them above you it's hard to make that shift to be like oh no me above you know my colleagues to to go higher
1: so according to Murray Bowen, in collectivist cultures like ours, low levels of differentiation are encouraged in order to ensure loyalty to the family and to the culture. We're asked routinely to make decisions about our lives based on what others feel. For example, we might be asked not to order something we like in a restaurant because everyone else is having a certain cuisine. Or what we study or whom we marry may be chosen by the family for the ledger interests of the family. But the differentiation of self, I think, that Murray Bowen talks about is so
0: important because um, from his research and his findings, he found that the level of differentiation of self refers to the degree to which a person can think and act for themselves um, while being in contact of emotionally charged issues. You know, so that that emotionally or whatever, like responsibility wise, you know, so it refers to the degree with which a person can uh, make the difference between their thoughts and their feelings. And then found that people with higher levels of differentiation, which are probably people who have higher level of boundary settings, not probably, which are people who have a higher level of boundaries, can maintain separate solid lives under their stress and anxiety. So regardless of what's happening, they're still fully functional. But then when you have um, a lower level of differentiation, which he has attributed to collectivist cultures, um, it's led to people having to depend on others to function and they develop significant like symptoms under stress. So they often like act very anxiously or destructively then under stress. And that stress can be, you know, work induced. That stress can be work people induced. That stress can be your personal life induced. And so their intellectual reasoning is now like completely emotional so they can be fully intelligent fully competent in a workplace but they can just have poorly poor boundaries and that can create this whole problem so so a good example of this is like how people who okay and again this comes down to a little bit of the i've i've heard this in the workplace of um different women and then as also different ethnic women being like they don't know how to say no because they feel like people who are coming to them are asking them for a lot of different things at the same time but they're already like so busy but they feel like they have to help and they have to do a lot of things so it ends up being while they're fully competent um, in an effort to try to help everyone around them they got so busy with those tasks that come end of day something was due they couldn't finish it and now the perception is that they're incompetent and uh, they couldn't you know complete the task to a high quality when no that competency was not an issue it was simply Being unable to set the boundary and say, look, I appreciate that you're asking me for help. I'm just currently so swamped, so I I
1: can't help you, but I can palm you off to, to someone else that I know who will be equally helpful. So yeah, what we really want to emphasize on is that sometimes it's not that just Sally put herself in that situation. It's that Sally was not only dealing with that stress, but also with the conditioning that she has had in the past. Like she probably sees things different, and for her it's really difficult to come and say no, sorry, I can't do this. It's I already have so many things on my plate. Perhaps tomorrow when I finish it, I can give you a hand or just come up with another su- suggestion. Um, but for her it's really hard because in her head she has always had that belief system that she has to help and prove herself by going above and beyond yeah while it's true that that is a
0: decision being made it just comes from a lot of like conditioning that's that's you know under the under behind the scenes that no one really sees so i think that's why all this becomes important because it's about understanding and now we're going to get into that what you know team members and leaders can do that understanding of how to help um people like you know myself and yourself and sally and everyone going through this so that they don't have to put themselves in that situation again they can set boundaries yeah
1: yes exactly because it's not just what we as employees can do as leaders i think it's important to sort of like understand why these things are happening if for example someone comes and complains about sally not being able to deliver these jobs have a conversation with her and understand where she was coming from why is that she wasn't able to finish these things sometimes for women or for even like anyone saying no to some like over committing is pretty common and it's not that we don't want to finish our job or do a great job is that we can't really say no because if someone from a position of power like a, a senior is asking you to do something you feel inclined to say yes just because the authority level also comes into play it's not only ourselves that have to be receptive to this it's our leaders and it's part of the job to identify how to resource a team and how to allocate these tasks and how to differentiate and prioritize what task has to be done first and what project should be dedicated more time than others yeah so if people at the top are putting in crazy hours and they are always working then of course people down below who want to move up are going to do the same because that's the example that they see but it's their responsibility to just do the normal hours to rule by example pretty much so if you as a leader are not drawing proper boundaries you should recognize it and you should actually work on your boundaries so your employees also have good boundaries
0: yeah which i heard like some leaders doing at work and i thought that was fantastic because they were just being so conscious about the tone that they were setting really cool stuff very very forward um thinking in that sense So in terms of like being conscious about what you set, and um, I think a really important thing in being able to set these boundaries, I think, is, um, I don't know if this is like a little bit controversial, but it's really cool, I think, to be able to set these boundaries if you're having trouble, you know, because of any feelings of being a minority or just having trouble setting boundaries in general, is uh, the first thing you can do is probably find someone who you can trust and be vulnerable with. And um, they can help you validate whatever your feelings are, but also brainstorm and strategize your next steps. And um, the stuff you could take to them is something like you can document. It's a bit weird, but you can document um, times where you felt like your boundaries were, you know, crossed and how that made you feel, um, you know, the act of the behavior, how it impacted your work or how it, you know, made you feel in that inner work setting that, you know, this was not productive for me. And you can put that into action and communicate that with those right people and they can help you
1: strategize and come up with better ways to so that these boundaries are not crossed. Yeah, entirely. exactly right. I feel like documenting everything, yeah. it's so important. It sounds bad, but it's actually really helpful and it also is sort of like a reference point for progress. Like, so, you know, I used to struggle with this, now I'm not. And it doesn't necessarily mean that documenting is going to bring a negative impact or like an uncomfortable um like it's obviously going to raise an uncomfortable conversation with someone but it's going to help you
0: and so that you sound more prepared um, clear as well
1: yeah prepared rather than just being like
0: oh um you know i don't know but this affected me no like you sound like you have a clarity of thought and you, you're you not just being very emotional about yeah. something. So how
1: do we hold um, ourselves accountable when setting boundaries? I feel like it's really important to have an understanding of what a vicious cycle of unhealthy boundaries look like. So first, people infringe on you. Then you sacrifice your needs and then expectations increase. And that's like going on and going on and going on. So to avoid that, we first have to understand our worth. So once you understand your worth and you value, you have a sense of awareness and appreciation of your own achievements and what you can offer.
0: When you speak up, the most important thing is to be clear and concise. Oh my God, and so good because again, I was reading Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, fantastic book. Um, it talks about how clarity is kindness. The more clear you can be, be and leave no uncertainty in your intention and your meaning in se- setting that boundary. So no one else is like, thinking like you know maybe like you know it was personal or something no then it opens the door a for people to do the same and it also means they're not having to overinterpret into anything you're saying it's clear from your part it's clear from their
1: part you can set the
0: boundary and just go
1: but i feel like the most important thing is understanding your non-negotiables your non-negotiables can look like that you don't want to miss your dinner with your parents or a school play or activity. Like for example, showering your baby at five PM. You don't want to miss that. So and you don't have to. Just um voice that that's like a very important time of the day for you and your baby. Or for those that don't have babies, like for example, your yoga class is really important for you at five PM. Then do and and be honest and tell them And you can work around. That. Yeah. yeah. And that's a wrap. That was everything we wanted to share with you this is a longer episode uh just because it's a really good subject that we should really dive into
0: and it has so many subsets relating to so many different um aspects of you know like i said culture gender but thank you for making it until the end
1: (laughs) if you did (laughs) thank you for making it until the end we hope you got some value out of it and if you have any feedback we're happy to obviously listen to you guys uh, but yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. See you later, alligators. Bye-bye, horse. <laughs> Bye-bye, horse. <laughs> the fuck?